Let's turn uh, to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And I appreciate the things that have already been shared this morning um, from Colm, from Sam. Uh, it just um, kind of sets the tone and, um, again, just reiterates for me because, you know, I know you'd like to think that the pastor is always feeling utterly inspired. And I was, you know, I did, you know, through the process eventually when, you, uh, when God deposits something in your heart, you know, you know, after years you kind of bear witness with that. But still to come to that point many a times is, um, is a process. And you say, God, you know, I've just preached a series uh, over a period of time on holiness, and so that was consecutive. So it's, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say? What am I going to share with the assembly? And so this eventually came to mind, and I think the circumstances this morning kind of bear witness with it as well. So I'm sure it's going to be a blessing to us as we go through this particular psalm and its, con- and, uh, its content. But... As we know, the Bible is a divine book. And uh, Sam used the expression this morning, which was here in my notes. And, um, but we know that the Bible as a whole is God-inspired. And, um, and as a whole, uh, it presents to us a comprehensive understanding of the purposes and the plan of God. And so, as Christians... As we get saved and as we come to know the Lord and to go deeper in the Word, we, we begin to identify with that. And so as you begin to see the Scriptures as a whole, you begin to get a bit of a bird's eye view, was the phrase that he used, a bird's eye view of, of, uh, of God's plan and God's purpose. And so uh, we get an overview. We grow in to see this panoramic view of God's plan and purpose, and we see our place in that. And so uh, from that perspective, uh, the, whole, the whole thing is glorious. But at the same time, there's a plurality that is associated with this. And so uh, there is a human dimension. As much as there's a divine dimension and a divine plan and how glorious and how wonderful it is and how encouraged and stirred we are when we identify with it. But the reality is, you know why we get so excited when we identify with it? Because we know human emotion. (laughs) We know human nature. We know ourselves many a times. And so uh, there's a human aspect and a human dimension to this equation as much as there is the God factor and the reality of those things. And it's not to diminish one from the other. They're both realities. This is why we have the book of Psalms, because the book of Psalms this morning is a book that reflects that human dimension, doesn't it? It's a book that captures for us, the human reality, the human uh, emotions, the human thoughts. And you know what? They're not all good sometimes. But they are real. And so in the midst of of the panoramic and in the midst of the purposes of God, we have this human aspect. Now, the Psalms are songs that are sung. And, you know, in life, we all have our favorite songs. True? You have your favorite songs, I have my favorite songs, and, uh, and the truth is um, we identify with our favorite songs many a times, whether they be whatever they are, even if they're just praise and worship, uh, they are songs that we identify with mostly. They are songs that move us emotionally. They are songs that we identify with personally through some experience in some special way that makes it so special to us. That's why we all have differences. What's your favourite? What's my favourite? Well, it's all, it's all relative. Although I'm sure mine's the best ones. <laughs> because that's how we feel, right? That's how it is, because they mean the most to us. They move the soul, and they are felt deep within. And the Psalms are like that. We have our favourite Psalms. One man said in the Psalms are all the sorrows and the troubles, fears, the doubts, the hopes, the pains, the perplexities. 
The stormy outbreaks by which the hearts of men are tossed to and fro and are, are depicted here in the book of Psalms. It's true. It's so true. Here the suffering and sorrowing as human beings find a fellowship of sympathy which takes the bitterness out of the tears of life. Because we all experience pain and suffering. We all have to endure certain circumstances. And sometimes in the midst of that human dimension, you read the Bible or you read specifically even the Psalms themselves and you find yourself just locked into that. You know, sometimes it might, whatever it might be. And there's multiple aspects. And I can tell you now, over the course of the longevity of my years as a Christian, there are many psalms that I can relate to, and I remember them because they were spoken at a specific moment in my life. They were landmark in which God spoke and ministered. But you know, the psalms this morning are a triumphant book of praise in the midst of that. It lifts the soul out of the fishbowl of life. That's what we're like, you know, <laughs> we're like little fishes in a bowl. Oh, look at this. You know, but it lifts, uh, the Psalms and the Bible lifts us out of that and enables us to have a bird's eye view, amen? Not to see life, uh, the purpose and plan of God from a fishbowl, but far, rather from to saw the heavens and to see things as they are and to have the panoramic view of the purposes of God and see the big picture. And this, this particular Psalm is exactly that. This particular psalm captures all of these things and it's written by a man named Asaph and, to, uh, and he was a chief worship leader and songwriter and we find, uh, in Israel and here he's mentioned he wrote many psalms. But you see, even I believe that um, Asaph is human like you and I and though he was commissioned by God to lead them in divine worship, he too at various points in his life, he had questions of God. He had doubts about God and the ways of God. But you know, he found the answer this morning to all of his problems was to worship God. And so let's look at this particular psalm this morning and draw some wonderful truths from it. Let's read the whole psalm, verse number one. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, they have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge of the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful to me, for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. There I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation it is in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like the beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. 
You hold me by my right hand, and you will guide me with your counsel, and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. Amen and amen. Now, as we said, there's a human dimension to all of this this morning. And so we're going to look at a brutally honest individual who's sharing with us his, what's the deepest thoughts of his heart and his mind. So in verse number one, really we're dealing with uh, the, uh, the, the psalmist's temptation, his temptation to, to, to depart from or fall away or to drift away from the Lord or not trust God. And so Asaph here in this psalm is, is being reflective. He's writing after the fact. He's looking back in hindsight and he's going to give us a true account of where he was at and what he was thinking and what was going down on deep down in his soul. And so in verse 1 he makes a statement of absolute truth. He says, Truly, God is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart. So before he even begins to expose and talk about himself and what went on within him, he's making a declaration, a triumphant declaration that is of absolute certainty and truth concerning the character and the nature of God. Truly God is good. Full stop, exclamation mark, whatever it is you want to put there. But that is the statement. Truly God is good to Israel or to us and to such as are pure in heart. In other words, there is a condition to, that, to, to, uh, to receiving of that goodness of God. And he says it's to the pure in heart. You see, we've looked at this, I think, in recent weeks briefly, which... Uh, and made mention of it, but, um, but again, think of Jesus when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so there's something about purity of heart. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, okay? But it means that we are pure of heart and that we, have cl we are clean and our motives are pure before the Lord. We're not deceitful and uh, we're without guile. And that's it's truth that's inwardly is what God is looking for when we define this purity of heart, not perfection, but it's a sincerity. Truly God is good to Israel and to such as are pure in heart, those that maintain that. And they shall see God, they shall understand God, they shall know God in an intimate way. Now, it's, at, it's from this statement this morning that Asas shares an experience of his life. And really, if we're honest with ourselves, to some degree, it may be different for different levels of this, but nevertheless, we, cannot, we should all be able to identify with it. And he begins to, to, uh, to, to deal with and reveal the temptation that he experienced to not trust God in his life. The temptation to not trust God with his life and as he, uh, and to really, uh, where he struggled in this area. Remember, the just shall live by faith. If any man draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him, as it says in Hebrews. And so we're dealing with this issue of having continually, the just shall live by faith. And this is where uh, Asaph finds himself. He's, at, he's, tempt, he's tempted to, to just kind of throw, the, throw it all in and say, you know what, is this all worth it? Why am I, why am I living this way? This is the things that are going on. Look at verse 2. He says, but as for me. See, he makes a declaration of the perfect character of God and that God is good. But then he, he turns to himself and he uses the phrase, but as for me. My feet almost stumbled 
my steps nearly slipped. Meaning that he, he, he obviously did not in the end, but he was right on the edge. He was in, him, in his heart, in his mind, in his thoughts, as he, we will see the things that he's contemplating. He talks about the fact that, that the temptation was so real, it was so great, and that he was on the edge because his eyes, why? His eyes were off God. Look at what it says in verse 3. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph is saying the reason why I almost stumbled, the reason why I nearly slipped is because I was envious of the boastful and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, Asaph, being of Israel, being a worshipper of God, loving God, but then he sees the heathen all around him and, and sees you know, certain aspects where they appear to be having fun. They appear to be prospering in life. And he says that he's, uh, there came a time in his life where he became envious of the boastful. Now think about that. You know, I'd say, oh my gosh, how did that happen? That can happen to all, any of us. Because when we take our eyes off God, and in this case our eyes off the Lord and, and off Jesus himself, then we too begin to shift our focus and all of a sudden we start looking at the world around us. We think, hmm. Why do they seem to have it so good? They're enjoying themselves. They're not concerned about the issues of life. You know, they're just, they're prospering in what they're doing. And so this is what's happening in, in his heart. He became envious of them. Jealous, envious. He wanted what they wanted. He began to think, I want what they have. You see, have our eyes and our hearts ever drifted? As we've considered these things, as we look at the world around us, see, Asaph is not thinking clearly. He's not. His eyes are off God. Envy has blinded his heart and his mind, and he's self-deceived through, through his own heart and through his own mind. And he gives us a summary and an overview, and really, I'm not going to go into all the details of, of what he says here, but he says in verse 4, there are no pangs in their death, they, they, their strength is firm, they're not troubled like other men, and he begins to just give an overview. And as you read that, you know, the truth is, as you look at, as, you look, as we'll see, the context of the whole psalm, Asaph has become short-sighted. He has, he has become not just self-deceived now, he's become deceived in his mind, because he's thinking something about them, but really it's not true. It appears to be so, and it may look a certain way, it may present itself in a certain way, but really it's not the reality. It's only a veneer, it's only a perception, it's only skin deep what he's observing around him. But envy has blinded his heart and darkened his understanding. And this is what can happen to any of us because you know what, we think we're serving God and sometimes we have to just persevere through some of the mundane things and uh, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's, there's the experiences of life that we have to endure and some of the dry times of the Christian experience and sometimes it, you think, has, has a thought ever entered your heart? Why, they seem to be doing all right. They don't, why am I troubled and they, they don't seem to be bothered? You think that, and you think that they aren't you really begin to think that, 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 that life's, no, the grass is greener on the other side. But you see, it's not. And this is part of the deception. And this is why he almost stumbled. See, these were his thoughts. What he shares in verses 4 to 12 are his thoughts. They're not his actions. They could have easily become a lot more than that, if he had continued, because as with all things, you know, what a man as a man thinks in his heart so is he. It's easy that it'll eventually manifest itself if he didn't get a hold of himself or God didn't move in his heart. But you see, the battle for him was real. That's the point I want to make. The, the internal struggle, the internal battle that was raging within his heart was real in his mind and it was affecting him deeply. Deeply. 
And so go down to verse 13, where he says, this is where he's now beginning to think. Listen, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. So, and in verse 14, he says, For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So he's exacerbated, he's frustrated, he's complaining to God. He's questioning his faith. He's questioning God's ways. And uh, he's beginning to think to himself and he says, you know, uh, what, you know, is it worth it? Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. I mean, is it really worth it? You know, because the world just seems to go on and sin and, and, and all their endeavours and all of their pleasures and all of their enjoyments and they don't seem bothered. Well, so it appears. But look at me, I've just, you know, I'm choosing this pathway, this narrow road, and it's so narrow that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm choosing to live a moral life, an ethical life. I want to serve God, I want to please Him. And, and so, you know, it really does narrow some things down for me. For me. You know, my options are not as, as, not as broad as I would like them to be. So he's beginning to contemplate, is this really worth it? And listen to verse 14. He says, For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. You see, think about this because I find this interesting. Um, <coughs> excuse me. He's, what does he mean by this, firstly? All day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. You know, because in his heart he's, he's battling. Because he knows it's wrong. He knows the things that he's envying and looking at are wrong. He knows that that's not right. He doesn't need anyone to tell him. But he's having in this internal, internal struggle and he's battling. And you know what the result is? Life's becoming even more miserable for him because he can't be on, you know, it's like they say, it's better not to know the truth than to know the truth and not live it. Because if you depart from it, it just eats away at your mind because you know they don't, most of the world, they don't even have a revelation that we have of the gospel and of the truth and of these things, so they're not bothered by it. Well, so they appear. Again, appear, okay? But you see, he says, I'm chastened every morning. You see, in other words, what he's identifying is that the discipline, the chastisement of God in his life. You know what? Because we are sons, and, sons of God. And so uh, I heard one saying, once a preacher said, why is it that the children of God seem to suffer more than the, the, the world? Because you know what? Because we're children of God. And whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He's no, we don't get away with the things that they get away with. You know, they can go on and march on and they're not even bothered. You, and we're, we're, we're in turmoil and we're struggling and we're going through all of these experiences. Life's miserable. Why? Because you know what? You're plagued and you're chastened by God. Because you are not where you ought to be. And God allows the circumstances of life to come in and pressurize us and bring us to a place where we submit to God and yield to God and so forth. But he's identifying with that reality. And the, the, and the children of God sometimes have more miseries than those of the world for this very reason. And so Asa says, for all, verse 14, all day long, and I'm chastened every morning. See, God brings about trials in our lives in order to purify us, in order to conform us to the image of his son, in order to transform us. And so you would understand that this is the truth this morning. And Asaph made this, the point, I nearly, listen, he, he didn't slip. He didn't, this is all going on in his heart. He says, I nearly slipped. I nearly stumbled. I was on the precipice of making some decisions that would have really hurt me deeply. And so, as for me, you know, isn't it interesting that in verse 2 where he says, but as for me, he's giving us an insight into his own heart this morning. But as for me, this is what I... I mean, it's easy to, we can talk about this and say, oh, Asaph, what's wrong with you? You know, come on, where's your faith, brother? <laughs> you know, I mean, let's be honest. I haven't had, 
I don't go through that experiences. My faith is strong. Well, let him who stands take heed lest he fall, right? Because let's not be so boastful and so proud. And uh, maybe you haven't experienced that, those type of inner uh, feelings and thoughts. But I tell you what, to say that you will never, don't deceive yourself. Don't be so bold and brash and proud to think that your heart can't go into that place. Because uh, Asaph, thank God that Asaph is being open with us, you know, that God puts this in the Bible because it's reflective of truly human nature. So Asaph is saying to us, you know what, I question God. I, I complained to God. I, I doubted God. And I'm sure he's not happy about it. I'm sure he's not pleased with himself, but he's, he could have easily concealed it and not wrote that and just, you know, hid it from everyone on the outside. But look, he puts it, as for me, he opens up the deepest thoughts of his heart. Why? Because you know what? We can all identify with them in some degree if we're honest. Doesn't mean that we've acted out, or maybe we have. Maybe you've gone beyond just thoughts. You've acted and lived in a way that has just totally rebelled against God. And even though you know the truth, even though you know and understand these things, um, um, you, like, like he says, for all day long, I'm plagued. I'm chastened every morning. So here we have the reality of Asaph this morning. And so... Um, I'm sure in some way, as we've just mentioned, we can identify with SF. We've maybe become envious of the wicked. Maybe we've become affected and skewed in our understanding of God. Maybe we've asked the question, well, why me, Lord? Why am I suffering? Why am I chastised? Why am I always dealing with difficult and challenging circumstances? Why have you allowed these things in my life? Let's be honest. So let's look at verse 15. He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. You see, Asaph is telling us what he was thinking and feeling in his heart. But he says, you know, if I had gotten to that point where I began to vocalize and speak, because this is, this is the difference. It's one thing to have thoughts in our heart. And let's be honest. We, lots of things run through our minds. If God was to show you my brain and my thoughts, you'd go, ah, Pastor Gary. And it's the same for you, okay? If it would open up your brain and show your thoughts, you'd go, ah. But you see, Asaph is, 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 has gone, and we're seeing the deepest thoughts of his heart. But you see, Asaph hasn't. He hasn't crossed that line where he's speaking in unbelief where he's making these declarations uh, about God because he can't bring himself to do so because he says, if I had said I will speak these things, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Or in other words, he's saying I would have been, uh, it would have been treacherous. I would have betrayed your people if I would speak words like that, even though he was thinking and feeling a certain way. Because once you start to transition from that and you begin to vocalize those things and declare them, that's on another level, isn't it? But he said, I didn't do it because I couldn't, I couldn't, even though I felt like this and I thought like I couldn't speak like that because I'd be untrue to the testimony of God and I would, dis I would uh, betray the ch your children and bring damage and destruction. So he says in verse 16, follow with me. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. He's bearing all of this turmoil in his heart. And he comes to this point where he's just pained by the, 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 the thoughts of his heart and the feelings that he's feeling. But you see, this, it's at this point that he's about to slip. It's, about, it's at this point where he's about to stumble, as he says earlier. But you see, listen to what is said next. Look at verse 17. Until 
I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. You see, this is, this is beautiful. This, 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 is, this is the transition. This brings us into the second movement of the psalm. It's out of the negative, but he's giving us a reality. And now he's telling us the answer, how he didn't stumble, how he didn't slip. And how he come to this place of, of victory in his life, he says it was until, it was at this point, I went in the sanctuary of God and I understood their end. Everything changed for Asaph. His eyes were opened. He'd come to himself. At what point? When he went into the presence of God. When I came into the sanctuary of God, uh, then he says, it wasn't until I did that, what well, was one point, and he says, then I understood. You see, this is how important it is to come into the presence of God. This is how important it is to pray and have devotion. This is how important it is to come to church. I say, oh, that's just a building. You bet it's just a building, man. This is a Seventh-day Adventist building for crying out loud. But you know what? This is the church. This is the sanctuary of God. And when we come together as his people, I tell you what, when I come into God's presence, uh, it all makes sense. Everything changes. I can have a terrible week or I can be feeling a certain way. I can just be burdened or pressured by life. But I come into the house of God and that's why I come. You know why I come to church early on time? Because I want to worship God. That's my time now to come into his presence and just worship him. And then I come and then, you know, obviously I have to preach the word. But still, I, I when I preach, I receive as much as you guys listening. But there's something about coming into God's presence, coming into the sanctuary. And he says, my understanding came back to me. And he says, I understood their end. Notice the words. As much as he understood his end, you know, we know where we're going. But he understood their end. And the world is going to hell, church. Their end is destruction. Their end, as Jesus said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said their end is eternal damnation. Their end is eternal punishment. Their end is Gehenna, the lake of fire. Ah, now it all comes back to me. And to think that I was envious that I began to let my mind drift to think that somehow it was okay. Isn't it interesting? Because the verses that proceed after this, he says, listen to verse 18. Surely you set them in slippery places. <laughs> Surely you cast them down to destruction. You know, he was thinking that, they, that it was all perfect outwardly. But you see, then when he understood their end, God is going to... Bring it all down. You know, the time is coming when they say, the Bible says they'll say peace and safety. Then sudden destruction will come upon them. Because, you see, God is going to bring it to pass. God is going to cause this whole world to unravel. God is going to pour out his wrath. God is going to bring judgment upon the nations and upon the wicked. And we must see the bigger picture. You see, he was living in a fishbowl for a moment. He saw things and he was deceived within himself. But then when he came into the sanctuary of God, he understood their end because he saw, he had a bird's eye view again. He saw the panoramic purpose of God, the divine plan of God. And he said, oh, I understood again their end. He came to his senses. You know, what's interesting he says in verse 21, look at what he says. He says, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. In other words, he says, you know what, Lord, I was so dumb. <laughs> I mean, God. And that's really, this is what we can be like. And then when you come to the realisation and you reflect back for a moment, you go, how stupid am I? 
That's what Asaph's doing. You see, how foolish and how ignorant of me. How could I have gone to that place? He probably saying, I expect more from myself. I do, I do too. But this is what can happen. And it happened to Asaph. And it can happen to any of us where we play the fool. And, but you see, as he allowed his, he says, my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. You see, that's what happens when we, when we drift. We get, the heart becomes grieved and becomes vexed in the mind because we know the truth. We do understand God. We do know deep down these realities. And so, as I, can, as, as I acknowledge Asaph in the, in this morning and as we acknowledge ourselves, I... I think in the Bible how God so often, you know where the Bible says he know, God knows that we're but flesh. And I'm not making an excuse for these things. I'm just speaking factually now. But God knows that we're, we're just dust. He knows our frailty. He knows that we're just flesh and susceptible to these things. And in spite of this, listen to what Asaph says. Look at verse... 23. He says, nevertheless, now this is, listen to these words, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. You see, in the midst of his stupidity, in the midst of his failure, in the midst of who he is, and let's face it, that's what we're like. O wretched man that I am, in my flesh nothing good dwells, like Paul said. Yet, even in the midst of this, Asaph, having come into the house of God, he's got his eyes on God again, and then he has an understanding of the goodness of God. That's why when we come back to verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to such as a pure in heart. Because he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You know, as we go places, I mean, he's gone through a terrible place, a terrible trial, and, he, and yet he's saying, God, you are with me continually. You have been with me because God is faithful. And so he says, you've held my, hand, my right hand. Now think about this for a moment because we're seeing now someone who is greater than us. You know, the Bible says in 1 John, even if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. And so even when we failed and sinned and sometimes we think, God, you can't possibly continue with me. God, you can't possibly love me. Uh, or whatever the case may be, but yet Asaph has an understanding of the character and nature of God, and he says, I am continually with you. You have held me up. And I began to think about that, and I thought, Jesus is referred to in the Old, I mean, God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. He says, I am the, the good shepherd. The good shepherd. God is good this morning. And when you think about the goodness of God. And that's why the Bible says, taste and see that God is good. There's only one that's good. And it's not men. Oh, how good men can be. <laughs> Nothing compared to the goodness of God. There's only one who is good. And so here you have it. And so Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd and his sheep uh, uh, he will lead and he will guide and he will protect. And he says that the enemy will not pluck them from my hand. Or, you know, uh, so we have that aspect of goodness. Or, you know, Psalm 23 where the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he goes on to say, surely goodness and kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. The goodness of God. How much we receive of God's goodness. We don't deserve God's goodness. Let's be honest. We're like Asaph. Asaph doesn't deserve the goodness of God. But that's why he makes that statement at the beginning. Truly, God is good. Not because we deserve it. Not because we've earned it. But because of who he is. 
It's an absolute declaration of the character and nature of God, and yet he's good to me when I don't even deserve his goodness. Nevertheless, I am with you, and you hold me up. He says in verse 24, you will guide me with your counsel. God will direct our steps. He will teach us. He will lead us into those green pastures. And in the end, he says, afterwards you will receive me to glory. It ends in, it, that's, it ends in glory, church. It ends in glory. You see, because the Bible clearly tells us that those whom God predestined, these are the ones he called, and those whom he called he justified, and those whom he justified, he will what? Glorify. And so we will be glorified with him. This is our ultimate end. This is, that, this is the full gospel, a full salvation that is still yet to come. But you see, this is what God has pre-planned. This is the bird's eye view. This is the panoramic. But if God is for us, who can be against us? That's why Paul says that it doesn't matter what we endure, what we suffer, we are counted as sheep to the slaughter and we are buffeted uh, left and right and we're killed all day long, he says. But you know what? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so this is what, in other words, we are going to be glorified with Christ in his return. Or to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, to be ascend to glory. Amen? We win. He is with me continually. He will guide me. He teaches me. He leads me. And ultimately, he will receive me to glory. And this is the hope that we have. And this is the understanding you get in the house of God. When you come into the sanctuary of God, you understand your end and you understand their end. And, you don't, and so thank God that we're not, we're not amen, called to uh, his, his wrath and his damnation. We've been delivered. So we see the reality of these things this morning. You know, go to verse 25. You know, I thank God that I can come into the sanctuary of God. I thank God for the people of God. I thank God for the fellowship of the saints. I thank God we can encourage one another. But you know, there's, there's one thing that's more important than all of those things. They're only byproducts of, of the one himself. Look at what he says in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven? Who, who have I in heaven but you? You see, there's no one. We have him. And this is what Asaph is, is realizing. There's nothing more important than all of these things. And the, the most important thing is God himself. And he is my inheritance. Whom have I in heaven but you? And then he says, and there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. On, see, he's the only one that we have in heaven. And on earth, he's the only one. And he should be desired accordingly. And that's why the psalmist says, there's none on earth that I desire besides you. And so, again, it asks the questions, where are our desires this morning? See, our desire should be to desire God. Not the, not the things of this world, not the things that steal our heart, not the things that cause us to sin. You know what the Bible says? That our desire uh, leads us, our ungodly desires lead us away from God because that's where sin is conceived, in the desire. And when desire is, is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives, brings forth death. That's Whatever you say, you shall reap. But you see, God is telling us in this script, desire him. Desire God this morning. There's none upon earth that I would desire more than you. And until God takes that place in our lives, then we will never experience this fullness. 
because you'll always try and satisfy your desires with things that are outside of God. You'll become envious of the wicked and you'll think, oh, no, there's pleasure in this, there's pleasure in that. And you draw all your affections and substitutes away from him who satisfies. And this is what he says in verse 26. He says, my flesh and my heart fail. And that's the truth. Don't, let's, let's be honest. My flesh and my heart fail. It's like um, uh, uh, Paul said, uh, you know, when, when I, Paul the Apostle, when he wrote Romans there and he spoke about, O wretched man that I am. Even, if our, even our most, in and of ourselves, even our, our most uh, passionate desires, as, as, even as, as holy as they may be, in and, in, in and of themselves, we are still but flesh. And my flesh and my heart fail, the psalmist says. But listen to what he says. I mean, in other words, I don't, I don't walk in my, my self-confidence because he's showing us in the psalm what that can equal. He still fails. But he says in verse 26, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, this is where we've got to get to in our Christian life, church. In your relationship with God, when it all is said and done, through all the trials and tribulations, you know what? You get to a point where life ultimately does not give us what we want, need or desire, and we come to a place where you say, you know what? Even in myself is not my, fa- my strength and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. And you see, you have, it's one thing to hear this. It's one thing to hear it and say, oh yeah, amen, amen. But I tell you, it's in the midst of the circumstances of life where you come to this place and then you make that declaration. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, that word strength, isn't it interesting? Because it's the Hebrew word rock. It's... God is the rock, is he not? And so we, we, our heart fails. We, we can't, in and of ourselves, we're not rock. We're not the rock. There's only one rock. And that rock is Christ. And it's that rock that he said, I will build my church upon. It wasn't Peter. It was the rock. It was the revelation that Peter had of, of the rock. That was Jesus Christ is the son of God. And upon this rock I will build my church. You see, the rock is Christ. And that rock that followed Israel was Christ. The rock is God. And so we, God is the strength of my heart. He is my rock and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. You see, because that's the place that we have to come to in our relationship with God, where we say, you know what, God is the strength of my heart. Because if you think that you have your, you think you've got the strength, God will say, "Okay, fine. We'll see. How far, I'll let you take it. I'll let you take it on your strength on journey. I'll create a trial in your life, and we'll see how far your strength will get you." And then you get to the end of yourself, and you say, "Oh God," and you come back to the rock, because God's that rock. And so this is what caused Asaph not to slip. This is what stopped him from stumbling because God, he discovered God is the rock. He's the strength of my heart. In fact, the psalm this morning that Colm read, Psalm 84, said this, uh, the, the, um, we're marching to Zion. We're going from strength to strength. That's why it's a Christ, in, in the Christian life we go through these experiences, but you know, the more grounded you are on the rock, the more stronger you become. And the more resolved you become, you go from strength to strength. In Psalm 27, verse 14, the psalmist says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He will strengthen your heart. He is, God is the strength of my heart. Isaiah 41, verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, God is our strength this morning. 
God is the rock. God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever. That word portion is he's our inheritance forever. And when you come to understand this glorious truth this morning, it's liberating. When you come to understand this glorious truth, it brings a dimension to your life of victory. It brings a dimension. That's why you want to get up and share about how good God is and extol the name of the Lord because truly God is good. And in the midst of my humanity, in the midst of my failure, in the midst of my doubts and fears, in the midst of all that I, the frailty that I am, God is the strength of my heart. And I know him as the strength of my heart and he's my portion forever and I will declare him, his glory. And that's what we do, isn't it? So we can see verse 27 as we come to a conclusion. Just bear with me. For indeed those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. In other words, for those that have abandoned God and have been adulterous in their relationship to God, God has dealt with them in the most severe way. And that's what the Bible teaches us in the Old and New Testament. That's why Asaph says, I nearly slipped, I nearly stumbled. And even if you have slipped and stumbled, you can still get right with God. But if you proceed on that path, and you proceed in arrogance and rebellion against God, then you're setting yourself against God, and it's never, never going to work out. Never. Because, because why? I'm chastened by God every morning. Every day I'm plagued. Because you know God, and you're running away from Him. Life's never going to be pleasant for you, because you know the truth, and God's going to make sure that you don't succeed. That's just the way it is. You say you're being pessimistic, Pastor. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That's what God says. So let's delight ourselves in the Lord this morning. Let's be like the psalmist and identify with our God. Look at verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God, that I may declare all your works. You know what's good this morning? Draw near to God. It's so simple. Draw near to God. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. So draw near to God. Come to God, whether that's just in prayer, whether it's in his word, whether it's in repentance, whether it's in confession of sin, whatever the case may be. If you come to God and you make those confessions, he will cleanse you, he will restore you, he will revive you. And he'll set your feet upon the rock. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just bless your name. Lord, we do exalt your wonderful name. God, that your word is so true and so faithful. God, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, you are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. God, truly you are good. And God, I pray we as your people would feed in the land of that goodness and feed on your faithfulness. Oh, God, I pray that you would speak to individuals this morning. God, we can be like Asaph in our heart. Maybe we've even slipped and stumbled, but God, we can always get back on track because you are full of grace and full of mercy. And so, Father, we just ask your blessing upon this assembly in Jesus' name. Amen.